The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Every New Yorker knows that if you're reading a 570-page book, you leave it at home. It's way too much to carry when you're walking everywhere and taking subway stairs. But I am lugging all 570 pages of Dr. Michael Greger's brand new How Not to Diet all over everywhere because I want to know what the science is going to say next. Welcome, everyone. I am Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan radio show and podcast, and I'm thrilled to say that Dr. Greger is my first guest today. In our second half, we'll go from a conversation with the author of the New York Times bestseller, How Not to Die, to a chat with someone who talks with those who have died, acclaimed psychic medium and vegan, Lisa Williams. But for now... Dr. Greger. Now, I'm sure that he needs no introduction, but just in case somebody is brand new, Dr. Greger is the brains behind nutritionfacts.org, arguably the most insightful and innovative plant-based nutrition website in existence. You can go on there and look up anything under the sun and get yourself a fabulous minute long or so video every single day. Dr. Greger is a founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. He's a graduate of Cornell University and the Tufts University School of Medicine. And he has videos at nutritionfacts.org on more than 2,000 health topics. Welcome, Dr. Greger. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you. So, you have entered in to the big, scary world of weight loss. What inspired that? You know, with uh, so much nutritional noise and nonsense these days, I just wanted there to finally be an evidence-based diet book. And I cite literally thousands of studies digging up every possible uh, tip, trick, 
tweak technique proven to accelerate the loss of body fat to give people uh, every possible advantage and basically you know build the optimal weight loss solution from the ground up so a lot of people just don't believe there is one that maybe you can lose weight for a while but the idea that one can lose weight for keeps people think is just about impossible so what does the science say oh well i mean permanent Weight loss requires permanent dietary change. I mean, healthier habits just have to become a way of life. And look, if they're going to be lifelong, you want it to lead to a long life. But thankfully, the single best diet proven for weight loss may just so happen to be the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life, a diet centered around whole plant foods. Well, I feel really lucky that I happened onto that uh, by the grace of God or somebody way back in 1983, and I have kept off just over 60 pounds for 36 years. So I know from experience that you are speaking the truth. I just wonder why nobody else is. How can we have a $60 million weight loss industry and this message is not the one that's out there front and center, or maybe it will be once this book is in everybody's hands. That's why we need a good book out there. <laughs> um, so we will find out. So it came out yesterday, and we yes. will find out this Sunday where it landed on New York Times bestseller list. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. So why is there so much dispute, discussion, and, and not just slightly differing suggestions and ideas, but diametrically opposed suggestions and ideas, all of which supposedly have science behind them? I mean, it's all about repeat business, right? Feeding us this endless parade of quick-fix fads that always sell because they always fail. But, I mean, repeat customers, that's the whole business model of the weight loss industry. Yet people, you know, line right back up to be, you know, fooled again. Um, and it's not just kind of the corrupting commercial influences, um, but, uh, you know, the weight loss industry is corrupted by ideological conflicts of interest, too. So, I mean, you never know who to trust. That's why you got to stick to the science. But too often in science, in, in diet books, the rule is to, you know, kind of obfuscate rather than illuminate, kind of cherry-pick facts to push some pet theory and ignore the rest to promote their own, you know, their own agenda. That's, that's like the opposite of science, right? In true scholarship, the conclusions follow from the evidence, not the other way around. So there is a, a movement suggesting that overweight is not really the risk that we've been told and that instead of struggling with this thing for years and decades, that people should just learn to be content at any size. Good idea, bad idea. Well, look, um, I'm all for fighting size, stigma, and discrimination, but the adverse health effects of obesity are an established scientific fact. Um, in fact, there was the Global BMI Mortality Collaboration um, reviewed data from more than 10 million people from hundreds of studies in dozens of countries um, and uh, found that indeed um, uh, being overweight significantly cuts one's life short. In fact, I have a whole uh, consequences chapter where I talk about the ABCs of, of, uh, of consequences because there's about 20 of them. So, you know, A is for arthritis, B is for blood pressure and back pain, C is for cancer, on down the list talking about the very real impacts um, that excess body weight have not only on our longevity, but on our day-to-day -day health and uh, disability. So at what point 
do these become something to worry about? I mean, I know a lot of women that worry about five pounds, 10 pounds. I've also known people who have gone over to the other side with anorexia and bulimia. So where's the line between taking good care of ourselves, being in a reasonable weight range and driving ourselves nuts worrying about it? Well, so the optimal uh, BMI, um, uh, even though normal, supposedly 20 to 25, the optimal um, we now know is 20 to 22. Um, so that's really where the um, lowest rates of chronic disease from. In fact, a lot of that comes from um, the studies on vegetarians. Cause it's very difficult to find um, folks that, uh, you know, 70% of Americans are overweight. Um, so to find, uh, you know, disease rates among people who are skinnier, they really have to go to some of these healthier populations. And it does look like uh, 20 to um, 22. Um, um, but the BMI is just one of two um, measures um, currently recommended by, for example, the CDC. Um, uh, BMI um, doesn't uh, um, uh, account for... Um, uh, this uh, abdominal, this visceral fat, this deep abdominal fat. That's why some measure of waist circumference is also included along with um, uh, BMI. And uh, the healthy waistline cutoff um, is uh, 31.5 inches in women and 37 inches in most men, but closer to uh, 35.5 for Chinese, Japanese, and South Asian men. Um, and so that's for any metabolic risk, and then it really starts going up at about 34.5 inches for women, 40 inches for uh, for men. Um, so, uh, you know, the reading of a measuring tape could translate into literally years off of one's um, lifespan. There's about 80% greater mortality risk at, for example, uh, you know, 37.5-inch waist for um, uh, women compared to, to, to 10 inches lower and uh, an 8-inch sl- um, uh, smaller stomach for a men at th- uh, 43 inches, also 80% uh, difference in, in uh, mortality risk. Um, and, I mean, I, uh, kind of a, a one simple um, a kind of uh, a metric one can use or guideline is to try to keep your waist less than half your height. So if you know your height in inches, um, you want to keep your waist less than half of that. So is there something that you can do to lose that visceral fat, or do you just lose fat all over and figure you're going to lose it there too? Your body is super smart and loses the most villainous fat first, and that's the visceral fat. Um, So your body knows that's the um, worst fat, and so that's actually you preferentially lose that um, visceral fat as opposed to the a superficial subcutaneous fat, kind of the jiggly fat you see in a mirror, that's actually not the concern. Uh, so, for example, you do massive liposuction on people and take, you know, 20 pounds of fat, you get zero metabolic benefit. I mean, normally you lose just, you know, 5% of your body weight, you get significant improvements in, in blood sugars and triglycerides and cholesterol, all sorts of wonderful things, zero metabolic benefit, even taking 20% of your weight from that superficial subcutaneous fat that doesn't have metabolic consequences. What you care about is that deep belly fat that's actually underneath your abdominal muscles that you can't get to through liposuction. That's the fat that's marbling your muscles and internal organs, the fat in your liver, the fat coiled around your intestines. That's the really dangerous fat. But thankfully, that's the fat your body gets rid of first when you uh, start eating healthier. Now, what about gaining and losing weight a lot? I think uh, one of the reasons that we talked about how much money the dieting industry brings in is that people don't expect it to be forever. They think if they can lose weight and keep it off for six months or a year, 
that one worked. So what about people who have lost and gained the same 30 pounds 15 times? Is that an extra problem? You know, there, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a book that, ke- that, uh, that came out in the 80s uh, that keeps getting republished called Dieting Makes You Fat. Um, and, that's this, and that's this concern that there may be some kind of health, um, uh, adverse health effects of the so-called uh, yo-yo dieting. But uh, that was just uh, that was based on rat studies. Um, so starving and refeeding obese rats has negative consequences, but the, uh, the opposite with mice. And so are we more like rats or are we more like mice? That's why you've got to stick to people. And the human data um, very uh, clearly shows that uh, there's no um, adverse health effects of weight cycling with um, the exception of uh, lo- uh, rapid loss of weight fats can increase the risk of gallbladder attacks. And so, but that has to do with how fast you um, lose weight. But, um, but uh, there's little if no evidence of adverse effects of weight cycling. Basically, yo-yo dieting is better than none. But obviously, if you're on a healthy enough diet, um, then, then the, the weight shouldn't come back in the first place. Exactly. So you mentioned that that book was written in the 1980s, which is not surprising because it is said that 1980 was just about when things turned around and being overweight started to become the norm. So what happened? What happened with our food and our lifestyle around that time in history that we're still doing and still suffering the ramifications of? Yeah, you know, rather than some sort of disorder, I view weight gain as largely a normal response by normal people to an abnormal situation. And Amen. with more than 70% of Americans now overweight, I mean, it's literally normal. Um, uh, so the rise in excess calories um, uh, provided in the U.S. food supply since the 1970s uh, is more than sufficient to explain the entire obesity epidemic. There is no big mystery here. In other words, it's the food. Um, but this rise in calorie surplus wasn't a change in food quantity. It's not like we're eating more, but it's more in food quality. There was this explosion in cheap, high-calorie, low-calorie, um, low-quality convenience foods. You know, I, I you know, talk about saying, look, think about a Twinkie, right? With enough time and effort, any ambitious cook could create a cream-filled cake in your own kitchen, right? But now, on every street corner, they're like less than a dollar, right? Like if every time you wanted a Twinkie, you had to bake it yourself, we'd probably eat uh, a lot fewer Twinkies. Um, and so there's actually a compelling parallel with cigarette production. Before automated rolling machines um, were out, smoking was really actually quite rare. So in um, the last century, average American went from smoking one cigarette a week to, by the 60s, before the Surgeon General's report came out, a half pack a day, 4,000 a year. Um, and part of that it was just because they became so cheap um, uh, and uh, were able to be mass-marketed that way. But um, but it's beyond that. I mean, so I mean, like tobacco was just as addictive before and after mass marketing. But what was changed? All of a sudden, there's this greater opportunity for cheap, easy access. You know, it's like every time you wanted to 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 make French fries, you had to do it yourself. All that chopping and splattering and right. But now it just makes it so easy. And then of course it's aggra- uh, this you know aggressively marketed as well. Um, but you know the plague in tobacco deaths wasn't just from the mass manufacturing marketing. Um, but they actively sought to make their products even more craveable by, by spraying the sheets of tobacco with nicotine. And the food industry employ, does the same kind of thing, uses these taste engineers to accomplish the same goal, maximize the irresistibility of their products. So they use the three points of the compass, salt, sugar, fat, um, to tempt people into impulsive buys, compulsive consumption, to make what they call super-stimulating or hyper-palatable foods designed intentionally 
to hook into our evolutionary triggers and basically breach whatever kind of biological barriers to keep consumption within a reasonable limit. Um, and so we have this advances in processing, packaging, government policies um, to dump money into the food industrial complex, these, these taxpayer subsidies to make you know, sugar artificially cheap, corn syrup artificially cheap, to get these ready-to-eat, ready-to-heat, ready-to-drink products that are then mass-marketed um, uh, by increasingly more pervasive and persuasive marketing. Um, and so it just leaves us with this unfettered access to copious, convenient, low-cost, high-calorie foods with these chemical additives to just, um, uh, you know, make us not eat just one, basically. Um, and so, uh, you know, so we're left with this, well, wait a second. If the problem is cheap, tasty convenience, is the solution, uh, what, hard-to-find foods that's unappealing and expensive? No. It is actually possible to get the best of both worlds, easy, healthy, delicious, satisfying meals that can help you lose weight. That's what How Not to Diet is all about. Mm. So you know very well that in addition to the personal health and, and the public health consequences of the way that we eat, there's the environmental situation, there are the animals, there's world hunger. So anybody eating something that ever was a plant is doing better in a lot of ways than eating something that used to be an animal. So what is your opinion as a vegan and as a physician about all of the really amazing vegan foods that some people identify with the J word, junk food <laughs> well i mean look uh, so you know i mean uh, the first thing that comes to mind um is just this revolution in um you know plant-based products in mainstream you know fast food chains you know like the impossible burger beyond burger um and i see these as fantastic stepping stone foods transition foods um, towards eating healthier. Not everyone can go kale and quinoa overnight. You know, they want those same kind of flavors and textures that they had growing up. Um, and so, you know, all these products are 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 by far better. Um, you know, uh, tend to be lower in saturated fat, uh, no cholesterol. Um, actually have fiber. You know, things like that. Um, now, are these uh, these certainly? It's not the end game ideal. We don't want people to stall there with these processed products. You know, something like uh, you know uh, the the beans. The, the 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 peas or uh, soybeans that from which these products were originally made um, would be healthier by all counts, um, especially in terms of uh, reduced sodium, uh, ten times more fiber uh, than than that that which is processed out. Um, so um, there, um, uh, so I encourage people to continue the march towards um, whole foods, um, but anything that can get people to move away and move towards transition. Um, in the dire that direction, I see as a tremendous win for public health, and uh, so excited that these uh, products are now available, so people can, um, you know, taste how good plant-based products can be. Mm, great answer. So, if somebody is listening today and they're struggling with weight, and they want to do something while they're reading your very long book, just what do they eat? What do you tell them to eat? Uh, yeah, I mean the uh, the 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 bottom line um, is that uh, is to eat real food that grows out of the ground, you know, natural foods from fields, not factories. A diet centered around whole plant foods. It turns out the single healthiest diet also appears to be the most effective 
um, diet for weight loss. So what we're talking about is fruits and vegetables and legumes, which are beans, split peas, chickpeas, lentils, whole grains, nuts and seeds, mushrooms, herbs and spices, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. So what about when we eat? Does that matter? You wouldn't think, um, but amazing, I have this whole chapter on chronobiology, and it's probably, the chapter is probably way too long, just because I was so fascinated by it. It turns out the exact same snack at night is more fattening than the exact same snack, same number of calories earlier in the day. So, I mean, they do these studies um, where, you know, 2,000 calories in the morning, um, and you gain less fat than the exact same 2,000 calories in the evening, same food, same calories, and less fattening given in the morning. Morning calories don't count as much. Absolutely, uh, absolutely surprising. So calorie is not a calorie. It's not just what you eat, but how and when. And there are some foods, I think, that you eat them and you don't absorb all the calories. What kind of foods oh, are all those? sorts of things. Well, I mean, intact, whole intact plant foods. Anyone who's eaten corn can tell you some bits of vegetable matter um, can make it all the way through. Um, and so, yeah, a calorie may still be a calorie circling your toilet bowl, but it's not going to end up on your hips. Um, that's why intact plant foods, um, no matter how well you chew, um, some of the calories get trapped by um, the intact cell walls, which are composed of fiber, which our bodies can't digest. Um, and so um, uh, they trap calories, flush it out the other end. Um, and so, uh, so basically dis get discounted. And it's not just, this is really fascinating, it's not just those calories in those whole plant foods. You eat whole plant foods, and the fiber in your stomach can trap um, uh, um, calories in anything you eat. So you eat um, a Twinkie, for example, on a whole food plant-based diet, and you absorb fewer Twinkie calories. So basically everything gets discounted um, on a whole food plant-based diet um, uh, because of all that fiber, um, you can only absorb calories if the food comes in physical contact with um, the lining of your intestines. And when you have this, um, this, this mass, uh, this fiber mass, which can't get digested, um, that moves all the way through the, um, the intestinal, um, you can imagine all these you know, fat, carb, protein calories getting trapped in the middle of that gelled mass and never make it into your system, all thanks to eating fiber-rich foods, which is whole plant foods. Wow. Well, you mentioned uh, fat, carbs, protein, which brings me to, oh, my gosh, I could never eat that way. Those are too many carbs. Oh, I, I'm sorry. You cut out for a second. Say that again. Oh, I'm sorry. When people say I could never eat the way you do because it's too many carbs. <laughs> what do you say to those folks? Yeah, no, so, I mean, so carbs, I mean, you know, when you say carbs, carbs is, is lentils and lollipops. Uh, carbs is, you know, uh, you know, you know, kidney beans, jelly beans. Like, you, uh, carbs is a meaningless term. We don't eat macronutrients. We eat food. And the question is, what foods are best? And so there's some carb-rich foods like cotton candy that are bad for you. There's some carb-rich foods. Um, uh, like kidney beans, which are some of the healthiest foods on the planet. And same thing with fat. When we're talking about fat, are we talking about walnuts, one of the healthiest foods? Are we talking about pork rinds? Um, same thing with protein, right? What are we talking about? Are we talking about chickpeas um, uh, you know, or something like uh, chicken, which would uh, not be a good source um, of, uh, of protein. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I, so you, that's why you can't talk about carbohydrates um, because, I mean, uh, I mean, 
the number one source of calories in the American diet are is refined junk. It's actually grain-based pastries, cakes, cookies, pastries, pies. That is the number one largest calorie contributor. So any diet, these low-carb diets that tell people to cut those foods out, you're going to have benefits. Fantastic. We want people to cut out those refined carbs, um, uh, that those added sugars, um, but unfortunately, they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater if they're trying to cut carbs across the board and eliminating some of the healthiest of foods out there. Wow. How Not to Diet, an incredible book. I'm so happy to be listening to you. I'm so happy my listeners are hearing you and that I'm reading your wonderful book. Everybody, get your copy. It's out in the U.S. It will be out on Thursday in the U.K. Now, toward the back of the book, you actually have, and I couldn't believe this because I know you're a very serious researcher, but you have weight loss tips because the science suggested them, and now you're sharing them with your readers. Tell us your favorite one. Oh, my God. So I got 21, the 21 tweaks. Um, in fact, <laughs> they're available now. Um, so, you know, I had this uh, um, Dr. Harris Daily Dozen based on the first book, a free app on iPhone and Android. We just updated the app. The iPhone version just got updated today um, to add these 21 tweaks. So you get the full list for free. Um, and, you know, it's worth mentioning, I don't make a penny from any of my books either. All the proceeds I get from all my books are donated directly to charity. I just, you know, you want everyone to have access to this life-changing, uh, life-saving information. Um, I mean, if I wanted, if I had to pick, <laughs> if I had to pick one, um, um, uh, well, I think the, the, uh, the, the negative calorie preloading. Uh, so it's amazing. So, uh, so for example... Um, uh, if you, uh, if at the beginning of a meal you eat foods with less than 100 calories per cup, and that's basically most fruits and vegetables, um, so salad, soups, most uh, fresh fruits and vegetables have less than 100 calories per cup, they can actually effectively subtract calories out of your meal um, uh, because you eat because they're so filling um, and 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 so satiating, they actually eat less of your meal. So, for example. Um, uh, uh, if you give, have some people eat an apple before a meal, um, it can cut 200 calories out of them. So they, there's a famous study done at Penn State where they have people eat a pasta meal, um, uh, but start out with an apple, and they eat 200 less calories of, uh, of, uh, of this pasta meal. Um, and the, the apple may only have 100 calories. So basically, say, how many calories does an apple have? It depends when you eat it. If you eat it before a meal, uh, an apple can have effectively negative 150 calories. It just sucked 150 calories out of your body by eating that apple. Um, and so uh, so that's kind of you know You know, when my patients, you know, it's hard to tell patients to, to give up some of their favorite foods. Um, but I'm saying, I'm, but I'm not telling, but that's the nice about this kind of advice is, no, I'm telling you to eat more foods. I'm telling you to eat an apple. So, yeah, eat whatever lunch you're going to have. But, you know, start out with an apple, start out with salad, start out with soup. Um, and, uh, and so in their mind, they're like, I'm eating, and now I have to eat more food. But what's actually happening is they end up taking in fewer calories. That is so exciting. Dr. Michael Greger, you know so much great stuff. And when we read How Not to Diet, we will know it too. And if you want to know about everything related to your health, How Not to Die, and the ultimate website, nutritionfacts.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Greger. On to the New York Times bestseller list. Everybody else, stay with us. We'll be back after these messages with Lisa Williams. Stay with us.
I'm Diane Ray, Program Director for Unity Online Radio. And from all of us at unityonlineradio.org, thanks for your support and for helping us grow this year. We wish you a joyous holiday season. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everyone. I am delighted today to be welcoming as my guest in the second half of our program, someone who is a fellow Unity Online radio host, Lisa Williams, who is a noted psychic medium. We're going to be talking with her in just a moment. A couple of announcements. If you are new to all of this and you want to know what happens at Main Street Vegan, I've got a blog and an academy and lots of books and a beautiful film, A Prayer for Compassion, to introduce people of faith to the ideas of of vegan living. So check all that out at MainStreetVegan.net. Also, in September of 2019, there is going to be a beautiful conference at Unity Village near Kansas City, where this radio show comes from, and it is 2020 Vision, a world that works for all vegan spirituality forum and retreat. So if that is something that you'd like to learn more about, just check out thespiritualforum.org and look for that retreat happening next September. I'll be there and Dr. Will Tuttle and Dr. Milton Mills and lots of great people out there at Unity, which was founded by vegetarians. And some of us are just speaking up for the vegan message now. So as someone who lives in a very big world, someone who is more enchanted by what I can't see than what I can, I am particularly honored to have Lisa Williams as my guest today. She is a world-renowned medium and clairvoyant with an amazing ability to communicate with those who have passed to the other side of life. Born in England, Lisa was seen worldwide through two seasons of her own hit show, Lisa Williams, Life Among the Dead, along with Voices from the Other Side and Lisa Williams Live. She has appeared on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Anderson Cooper, Oprah, Jimmy Kimmel Live. She offers workshops and courses through the Lisa Williams School, through which she delivers her classes with her own unique and hands-on method of teaching. Welcome, Lisa Williams. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your show. It is absolutely a delight. I I wish that we could talk for several hours. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. uh, This very few minutes. So tell us first, how did this come to you? How did you know that you had this rare and unique gift? Well, you know, I think when I was a kid, um, I thought everybody saw dead people. I, I thought this was normal. Um, because, you know, it's not something that, uh, people, I guess people, um, talk about. So for me, it was, it was really, um, you know, my grandmother had it and I just, I just used to see people, you know, talking to me and faces coming out of the walls and hands coming out of the walls. And I know it sounds really bizarre, but that was kind of my life. 
And it was only when my grandmother sat me down, I was about 18, 19, she, and she tapped her finger on the, on the table as she always used to when she had something to say. And she said, you do know you'll be following with my work. And I'm thinking, I don't want to speak to dead people. And she's like, no, you will, and you'll be in America. And I had no desire to come to America. Um, but here I am, 13 years ago, I, I uh, made the, the journey over, which was only supposed to be for th uh, six weeks. And here I am living here. I haven't gone home. <laughs> so it's now become my home. What an amazing story. And to me, the fact that you are from England says a lot. I mean, I have seen a lot of psychic mediums in my day. And I have to say that in my experience, the ones who were superb, were in the UK. Is that just my experience or do you think there's something to that? I don't know what it is, but I actually, I mean, I do train a lot of psychics and mediums out there and a lot of them are in America, but I have seen some incredible, incredibly gifted um, psychics and mediums in the UK. And, and, you know, the one thing that I will be honest with, even though it started, it originated all of the, well, I mean, it's been going on for centuries, but this originated back in 1838, um, sorry, 1848 with the Fox sisters in Hydesville, New York. So it originated in, in the US, but it then went over to America, into England. And of course, they have various different institutes. They have a spiritual church on every street corner, practically. There's, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, practice of mediumship. And it's very much out there in society where I do feel in America and other places, it isn't so, or it hasn't been so open. So I do feel that it probably has something to do with that. But the mediumship over in England is is excellent. Um, and I do find that there's very different styles. So what I try to do is I try to blend the two styles together. Um, and then you get me, um, <laughs> which I'm not so sure is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's I, because I do feel as though I've had to, again, neutralize my accent. Because if you heard me, gosh, almost 13 years ago, you'd be like, oh, my God, you, you I, I won't be able to understand you. Um, but I've had to neutralize it. I feel as though I've tried to blend the two styles together. But there are some exceptional mediums in the UK. Mm -hmm. I had a reading a um, very long time ago with Ina Twig. And she was very well known because she had found a missing Anglican clergyman who had literally disappeared off the face of the earth, but she knew where his body was because he told her. And um, it, was, it was very hard to get in to see her. I was fortunate to, to get to do that. And it was an absolutely remarkable experience because oh. I find that life on earth is so much more real and tangible and present and thrilling when I know that it is part of something even greater and grander. Absolutely. So Lisa, can we all do this? Or is it just you and your grandmother and Ina Twig? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can all do it. And I do feel that we're all psychic. Um, we all have that intuition. We all have that intuitive vibe where we're all able to connect to our higher self and to connect into emotions and feelings of other people and other beings. Um, so we all have that. But um, if you train it enough, if you hone in, 
we all see images, we all see visions, we all feel our loved ones around us. We feel our animals, we feel our people, we feel, you know, our grandparents, our, our parents. We feel all of these things. And it's really just taking that, I guess, feeling into the next level and starting to hone it in and practice with it. And it's like a muscle, you know, um, you have to practice absolutely everything that you do. So we, we just have to really practice, establish our connection and really just um, keep working at it because it's like a singer. You, you can't expect somebody who is an, an amazing singer who hasn't been singing for some time to all of a sudden have their voices per pitch perfect. Um, so it's, it's just a muscle that we have to just keep using. And this is what you teach at the Lisa Williams School, I presume. Yeah. LisaWilliamsSchool.com, by the way, and all the URLs will be on the show notes. So uh, it sounds like Hogwarts, USA. <laughs> you know, I, it's so funny because in my old office, um, I used to have a little notice on the, on the front of my sliding door that said, welcome to Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> because I do, I feel as though it is like that. And actually, Harry Potter, the, the book, J.K. Rowling sort of, certainly did a remarkable job of, um, I guess, showcasing the world that, that we have different gifts, we have different abilities, we have different strengths, and it's okay to be different. Um, and I feel like that is important for people who need educating. You're, you're also educating a lot of other people. And we need educating in the world that it's okay to have a different belief. It's okay to have a different opinion. Um, and, and, you know, I always say to those people who don't all always, you know, believe or follow my or walk my path is I say, you know what, you'll find your own pathway, you'll find your own pathway. But as long as you have a belief, that's all that matters. I think that makes so much sense. And I've noticed something, Lisa, if someone goes to a massage therapy session or a yoga t a class and that practitioner or that teacher isn't very good, they'll say eh, they weren't very good. But if they go to a psychic who isn't very good, they'll say, oh, they were fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, it might be the fact that that person doesn't resonate with the psychic. You see, our ego comes in. And as a psychic, we want to make sure our connection is good for you. you we want to make sure it works. But there are some people that we just don't resonate with. There are some spirits that may not like us and don't want to share their, you know, or I always say their dirty little secrets with us. So um, it's an energy attraction. It's like attracts like. And, you know, and I feel as though if you go with that, that um, understanding that maybe that person isn't for you, then I actually say to myself, listen, I would rather somebody say, listen, this is not working than me really try to work with them for an uh, half hour, an hour and think, oh my gosh, this is like pulling teeth. I would rather give them the money back and say, listen, let me let me recommend somebody who I think is more suited to you. Mm. Um, and that is what is being authentic, because I would hate someone to say, oh, you know, they're a fake. Uh, but it's about being authentic. That seems to work in just about every field. I so agree. At, um, Lisa Williams School, you can check that out. LisaWilliamsSchool.com. Is this an online program in person or both? 
It's both. You can, there's a various different things. I teach everything from, you know, beginner's mediumship, beginner's psychic, all the way through to forensic mediumship, through to mastering the message, advanced courses, certified courses. And there's a lot of online courses as well, a lot of webinars that I do. And I'm also going to Unity Village as well the week after you, actually. Um, so I'm going to be doing um, a program there as well. So, you know, I do a lot of I do a lot of in-person and over, over online. Wonderful. And tell us about your radio show. You know, I love Unity Radio, don't you? Honestly. I love it. Love it, they, love it, love it. <laughs> they are fabulous. Um, my radio show is every Monday. Um, it's at 3 p.m. Central Time, which is obviously 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Um, um, LA time. And really, I, I go through various different topics. I talk about um, how to tap into your own loved ones, how to tap into your psychic energies, how to tap into, you know, do meditations. And I have various different guests on, um, you know, in fact, you'll have to come on my show. And we, we talk about all sorts of things. We have callers in and I do readings. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds wonderful. So Lisa, probably there are people listening to this right now who are rolling their eyes because they don't believe that the human soul continues. But there are probably a lot of other people who are thinking, yeah, somehow, some way, human souls do go on. But what about non-human beings? Mm -hmm. Are they over there on the other side for you or others to talk to? Yes, they are. Now, I recently lost my dog and uh, I'm a big animal lover um, and I I lost my dog and I must admit, really hard for me. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But I can tap into, in fact, earlier on, I was doing a reading. I bought a horse through um, yesterday's reading. I bought a cow through, which I thought was a beautiful and a pig uh, because you know it was they were her pets um so animal souls do come to me and i feel as though sometimes our animals are closer to us than humans there are so many people in the earth on who are living that actually have a real strong connection to animals and they don't like humans and so it's normal for me to to connect into a soul of of um of a being and let's just put it this way just a soul of a soul and it's so beautiful when you can because animals have this pure um sense there's no ego there's no oh you know where's the will and why didn't you give me the money and all of that you know animals are just unconditional love and this is this is what i tap into and to have a conversation with a cat or a dog or a pig is kind of weird in my world and I get it but when you can tap into that purity it is just unbelievable and for me I just I just think it's just wonderful it really is mm-hmm. and and it's also so reassuring I remember several years ago Pope Francis got into some hot water because he told a child that this little girl or boy, I don't remember which, would actually see her dog who had passed on in heaven. And the theologians were (laughs) very upset about that. (laughs) And yet, I don't think he took it back. So, Lisa, you are vegan. I am! Yes. I'm always surprised in in the world of of spirituality and in the world of New Age, uh, there just aren't nearly as many vegans as I would think. What drew you to this? So um, 
I, you know, it was it was funny because uh, ever since I was young, I I knew I didn't like eating meat. Uh, you know, I come from a hardcore family, England, and uh, you know, my it used to be the joke in my family: you can't ever be vegetarian; you hate vegetables, uh, which is you know, very, I wouldn't say it's true, but it's, I'm very picky, let's put it this way. And so what drew me to it was I, I became vegetarian uh, pretty much as soon as I stepped foot into the US 13 years ago. Um, and then a friend of mine was doing a cleanse and, you know, initially, and initially I went vegan for health reasons. And what I did was I did a test on myself and I ate all the processed food. I ate everything for probably about a month. And then I went hardcore vegan. I didn't go just, just, you know, let's just cut out meat. I went, I went, you know, and dairy, I cut, I went to, let's be a raw vegan. You know, I went really to the opposite end of the spectrum and I noticed that my vibration, my connection, my connection to source, the connection to spirit, the connection to absolutely everything became so much purer, so much richer, so much deeper. And I, I originally changed for health reasons. And naturally, I lost a lot of weight going vegan. But then I, I got into it. I got into the depths of it um, to the point that, you know, I started watching the various different documentaries and I, I started to change what I was wearing, the bags that I was carrying, you know, even down to the wine I was drinking. I started to change pretty much everything. Um, and I started to look into it. So initially it started me off because of health reasons. But actually, the more I got involved, the more I actually started to say, I'm, I'm hypocritical. If I'm, if I'm saying I'm an animal lover and I love animals, then, you know, why would I be eating the dairy and why would I be, um, you know, doing this and actually being, uh, you know, kind of half and half. And so when I went into for being a full on vegan, um, I would say I was, a, and as, as I called myself, I called myself a loose vegan. Um, but then I really started to delve in, um, looking at it. And then, and then, you know, I lost the weight. But now I've been full, full time. It's been probably about seven years now. Um, and I, I just feel as though, I don't know, someone described it the other day. She said, I, I stand next to you and there's a purity. It's almost as though you can tell you don't eat meat or you don't have any animal byproducts of any source because there's just this pure energy. And whether or not she was right or not, it doesn't matter. It was just the fact that my intention is pure. Mm -hmm. um, and that was that's important to me. That's, that's really so important. What do you see, Lisa, in a spiritual way about the souls or the ongoing energy of this massive number of land and sea animals that are killed every year for people to eat. You know, it's one thing to have our dog come through from the mm -hmm. other side, a deceased companion animal or, or cat. But, you know, they say that when humans die in a large disaster, it's very difficult for a lot of them to make the transition to the other side. And I just wonder what it's like for these animals who die in such vast numbers and such horrible deaths. Do you have any insight into that? So, um, you know, it's, it's, 
obviously being vegan, you know, it's, it's hard to look at things, but sometimes we have to look at it because um, we have to look at reality of it. Um, and I was sitting next to a friend of mine on a cruise and she, she was eating meat and she blessed her plate. She, and because she couldn't eat all her, her food, she, she apologized to the meat. She says, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And so I actually tapped in. I, I, it's, it's a weird thing to do, but I did. I tapped in. And my, and my son is this, you know, he, he loves his meat. And I'm sitting there and I'm tapping in. And I could just feel the, the energy here. And, and I can feel the pain. And I can, I can feel the, the um, y- you know, the, the fear. And I, it sounds awful, and but but reality is is that I do feel as though there is fear, and I feel that there is there has to be some change, and I feel as though there is going to be some change in society of changing the way that we eat, changing because we have to look at one the health aspect, but two the actual way that society is processing all of uh, the products that they are doing. It is not natural. It is not good. And I do feel, I try not to tap into the energy, but I do feel that there is, that the energy does need to be clear. But I, it's so interesting because when I tapped into this cow yesterday and this pig and she lived on this farm and they were her animals and they died naturally of old age, she rescued them. Um, and it was, it was so lovely to be able to connect into these animals that had had a happy life to, to sadly the fear that I was being shown when this, this, when, when there's pure, poor animals on a plate. Um, and I do find it hard, but I do feel that the world is changing slowly with people like yourselves and other people bringing awareness to it. Um, but I do feel that in those areas where there is this mass um, destruction, that the energy still lingers. The en- energy does still linger. And that's how it feels for me. Mm. And that's probably another reason why it is not a good thing to eat, even for people who haven't yet thought about the animals and, and the suffering of the animals. Yeah. So, Lisa, as a psychic medium, and I can't believe we're in our last five minutes, what do you, what would you tell us about what it's like between lives? I, I need to tell you again about a vegan Evan. We were talking about him before you came on this charming nine-year-old. If people didn't listen last week, he and his mom were on the show um, last week, but I was telling him about a past life regression that I had and, and that I died of the flu in 1919. And he said, well, what year were you born this time? And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want to tell a nine-year-old that I was born in 1950. And he said, so where do you think you were for those 31 oh, wow. years in between? Well, where do you think we all are in the wow. years in between? Wow. Well, that's interesting. So I wrote a book on this called um, Survival of the Soul, and it basically talks about um, the afterlife. It talks about what happens in the lives between lives. Um, And for me, it's, you know, we go off, we do a lot of healing. We do a lot of, uh, we're with our loved ones. We're, We're doing various different jobs. We're, you know, we have things, I guess, things that have affected us in, in the earthbound life that we are having to 
put aside to learn from to look at where what we're supposed to do I guess in our next life so I do feel that our life between lives is so important of our learning to actually bring us into the lessons that we are going to and to to prepare us to the next life but I also think not only that is we're also helping others. We all have a spirit guide. We all have people that we um, communicate with. It's like this little mini party that we're going back over to. So um, I do feel that we're actually learning. We're probably helping others and we're, we're educating ourselves. We're educating our soul and we're resting too, ready for the next adventure. It's always being ready for the next adventure. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> our website, lisawilliamsschool.com. She's Lisa Williams Medium on Facebook and on Instagram. And we'll put all this on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, Lisa, in our last minute, what can you tell people that's comforting, reassuring, uplifting? You know, I always say, follow your heart, follow your heart, be kind, um, love as much as you can and love today. Don't love tomorrow, love today because tomorrow for some people never comes. Um, so always make sure you're, you feel like everything that you're doing in your own heart sits with your, sits with your soul, sits with the vibe of you. Um, and as I said, love today. Love today and don't put anything off because really we live all the time. We die once, but we've got to live while we're here. And so if you can live every day to the fullest, live every day to the fullest. Well, I love today more than I did an hour ago because of this wonderful conversation with you and also with Dr. Michael Greger. And so I'm trusting that all of you listening had a magnificent time as well. I'm just all happy and grinning over here. So Lisa, is there a little affirmation you could leave us with a tiny little prayer? You know, I would say just sit within your own space, sit within your own heart and just say, I am whole. I am healthy. I am kind and I am love. And that is Utterly beautiful, not to mention true. <laughs> so to so everyone true. listening, thank you so much. If you're not yet vegan, take a step onto that moving walkway that might get you a little bit closer to that. So open your heart and open your mind to something that's maybe a little kinder, maybe a little healthier. And if you're already vegan, let's just love everybody, vegan and not, because there is plenty of love to go around. Everybody listening, be kind, be well, be blessed, be vegan. See you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, 
angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.